This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Lauren Strickland as she considers trauma-sensitive care in ministry settings. Lauren Strickland currently serves as Director of Whole Child Initiative at the Palmer Home for Children. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2021 General Assembly. Let's listen as Lauren Strickland helps us consider trauma-sensitive care. My name is Lauren Strickland, and um, I am a Christ follower. Um, I'm a mom. I have a nine-year-old son whose name is Judah, Um, and I am a pastor's wife. Um, We're in full-time ministry at a church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and um, have been in ministry as a family for about 20 years. Um, I'm a social worker by trade and um, have primarily spent my time working with um, children who come from hard places and who find themselves in out-of-home care due to foster care or who have been um, impacted by adoption. And I've also worked with um, the incredible foster and adoptive families who serve them and who walk alongside um, their, their birth families. And so I um, now serve as the director of Whole Child um, Initiative. Whole Child Initiative is a ministry of Palmer Home for Children. Some of you may be familiar with that name. Uh, Palmer Home uh, was started by the Presbyterian Church about 125 years ago. Um, And for a long time, uh, Palmer Home um, existed only as a residential resource for children um, who had been impacted by poverty or um, impacted by some form of abuse or neglect, and they would come into a residential group home setting. Um, and then since that time, Palmer Home has evolved to meet the needs of these vulnerable children um, and their families. Now we have, a, uh, we have cottage care still. We have our campus care program. Uh, we also serve uh, vulnerable children through foster care. We have a transitional care program for, for youth who are 18 to 23. Thank you. Mr. Kim has got me squared away, and he's already demonstrated several of the things we'll talk about today, and I'll pull him in in a moment, but I'm thankful for him. Um, 
Uh, we have a transitional program for children 18 to 23 who are transitioning into full-time independence out of foster care or residential care. Um, and then we also um, have a family care ministry uh, based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and this ministry is specifically designed for um, mothers who are impacted by incarceration and um, who give birth while they're incarcerated, and there's not a safe place for, um, for their little ones to go outside of traditional foster care. And so our family care ministry comes alongside those moms, provides caregivers to those infant children so that um, when mom finishes her term, uh, she is able to be reunited um, with her little one um, and moved back into the community uh, where she's then supported by the local church. It's incredible. Um, so Palmer Home has evolved pretty greatly. Um, Whole Child is Palmer Home's proprietary approach to caring for vulnerable children. And the mission of Whole Child is to provide a trauma-sensitive, holistic approach to caregiving that helps children to thrive, whether they're in their home or in a foster home or residential home, um, at school, and then ultimately in, in their communities. About seven years ago, uh, Palmer Homes CEO, Drake Bassett, came on board and he began to look at our children and just out of a desire to want to really understand what their needs were in every area of their life. So physical, educational, emotional, spiritual, and social. He wanted to capture um, what, what they needed um, so that we could best meet them. And out of that was born Whole Child. It was a simple tool. Uh, to help every adult um, on our campus at the time really understand what our kids need so that we could serve them better. Well, Whole Child has evolved uh, now to become a framework of organizational transformation. So we get to go in and partner with other organizations who are serving um, children and families who've been impacted by trauma, helping them to know how to best come alongside those families and serve them well. Whole Child is rooted in four core principles, which we'll hear about today, three critical values that we hope every organization lives out, um, and a set of 10 model practices we really believe um, help organizations to provide superior care to children who've been impacted by trauma and adversity. Um, and so you're going to get to hear a little bit today about, um, about those core principles um, and the values that, that we have. So Whole Child partners with a myriad of organizations, anybody who serves um, vulnerable children and, and their families. So um, this could be a school. Uh, right now we're working with um, the Oxford, Mississippi School District, um, helping them to incorporate more trauma-informed practices within their school, recognizing that a large number of their students have been impacted by trauma and adversity. Uh, we work with group homes like Palmer Home or uh, uh, Mississippi Baptist Children's Homes or there, there are a number of those even faith-based programs that, um, that we partner with, foster care programs, transitional programs like I've talked about, um, and medical professionals. You know, it's really important that uh, mental health professionals and medical professionals come alongside these kids who've been impacted by trauma and adversity um, in a way that is respectful and insightful so that we understand where they're coming from and we can help them move forward from that. And then 
Um, the other type of organization that we serve um, is the local church. Um, it's, uh, it should be uh, the absolute safest place for children who've been harmed in life. It should be the safest place for their family members, and it should be the safest place for anyone who's coming alongside them to partner with the church to serve them. Um, and so it is, it is our heartbeat that um, we come alongside churches and help them approach working with children and families from a trauma-sensitive place. It's not always the case in the church. Um, and it's not because of uh, lack of compassion. It's not because of lack of effort. I think it really is more about a lack of understanding um, and a lack of insight related to what these children and families have experienced and how that impacts them and how that shapes the lens through which we see them and come alongside them and serve them in a way that, that honors God and that truly helps to restore um, the child and the family. We just don't always know how to support. But it's important, right, that we have a conversation um, about um, this idea of ministries, churches being places that are really safe for folks who've been impacted by trauma. So why is it important that we have this conversation? Uh, one, adversity is inevitable. Hard things happen. Bad things happen. You guys know this. Um, and it's also influencing. The things that we experience in life shape our view of the world, shape the way we look at ourselves, um, shape our behaviors, our responses to the world around us. They're influencing. Um, we know that healthy relationships are central to the gospel. Healthy relationships are also integral to healing. Um, one of my favorite practici practitioners is a woman named uh, Dr. Karen Purvis, who has passed away in the last um, few years. Um, she is the developer of an approach called uh, trust-based relational intervention. And I had the privilege of working with her for a number of years. And she would always say that wounds that happen in the context of relationship are only ever healed in the context of relationship. And the church is in the business of relationship, right? So it deeply matters that relationships are something that we talk about. And then lastly, um, we grow and develop in the context of relationships with other people, relationships that are modeled by other people. And it's, uh, it's, it's no different when we're talking about spiritual growth, um, that we come to understand what it means to live out an authentic faith in relationships with others relating to a community of people um, because spiritually and emotionally healthy adults came alongside us and modeled that for us. And so it's important that, um, that we consider that. So we're going to talk about um, those three things. So how do we come alongside and partner with ministries? I want to tell you a little bit about the four core principles that shape the work that we do in our partnerships with, with the local church. The first is, um, the first is whole story. Um, we believe that a person's needs, a child's needs are best understood and met in the context of that child's history and the impact that that history has on the child's functioning. So whether that be the child's um, belief system, 
or their physical development or their educational development, their spiritual development, the way they behave, the way they relate to others. Our stories, so we would say biography influences our biology, it influences our relationships, it influences our spirituality. And understanding that helps us come alongside children and families um, in, in a really sensitive, respectful, insightful way. The second core principle um, is whole child. And because of the things that have happened, um, we, are, we are impacted by them. Um, we believe that children who've experienced a lot of hardship in life um, have really unique needs in every area of their life. They have really unique physical needs. They have really unique uh, social and educational and spiritual needs. Um, and when we can come alongside them, understanding those, we're better able to help them heal and grow. Uh, the third core principle is whole team. Um, if you have worked with a child who's been impacted by out-of-home care, who's in foster care, residential care, um, you know that there are a lot of people, a lot of adults um, in their lives working on their behalf. Oftentimes, um, these kids have a social worker, and they have a house parent or a foster parent. Um, they have teachers at the school. They have coaches, counselors, um, medical doctors. Um, they have uh, church staff and volunteers who come on time. There are a lot of people. And we call all of those people a part of the whole team. Any of the people who are engaging directly with these children are considered vital members of this whole team. And our goal at Whole Child is to make sure that all of those adults who are engaging with that child in their role do so in a way, again, that is respectful and is insightful, um, that recognizes that this child or this family has been through something really difficult, and it's going to shape the way that they partner with me. It's going to shape the way that they um, relate to me. It's going to shape the way that we do life together. Um, and so we go in and we teach the whole team how to respond really cohesively using similar language and using similar strategies so that children feel the safest they can possibly feel while they're in our care. And our last core principle is whole caregiver. Um, a whole caregiver, so again, caregiver can be anybody. Caregiver can be um, a Sunday school teacher, a coach, um, a, a small group leader, a it can be anybody who's engaging with that child. And we believe that whole teams are made up of whole caregivers. Um, that if relationships are the tool that we'll use to bring about healing in the lives of these children, uh, we have to make sure that our caregivers are the healthiest they can possibly be in order to provide that, model that, engage in that with the children that we serve in our time together, we're going to talk briefly about trauma and then how to establish safe spaces um, within our church to ensure that children experience restoration. Okay, so whole story. Adversity is inevitable. Um, there is a high probability that you are serving children and families in your church who've been impacted by trauma or adversity, hard times, difficult things. Um, and if not, if you're, if you're thinking right now about um, your Sunday school classroom or your church makeup and, you, and you're thinking, like, I can't, think, I can't think of anybody in our church who's been impacted by what I think is trauma or adversity, I guarantee you there are unchurched children and families in your community who've been impacted. 
by trauma and adversity. And if the local church exists so that people come to know and love and follow Jesus, then we've got to do the work to get them into a safe space long enough that we can share the hope of the gospel with them. So what is, think about it, I, and I, would, I want so much for this to be a conversation, and it may feel so weird that I'm behind this mic, but if you could just imagine we're in a living room, it would be great. Um, tell me, someone, what, what is trauma? What, what does that word mean? What's trauma? When you hear it, what comes to mind? Unexpected. Unexpected, yep. Something unexpected that happens. So trauma is, um, trauma has to do with an event, like you've described, an unexpected event. Um, And it also has to do with the experience of that event and the effects that that experience has on the life of a person. Trauma is typically something that is so absolutely overwhelming that it, um, it, it doesn't allow a person to be able to cope. Um, And it's typically made worse by the reality that there may not be someone there to walk alongside of me in it. Um, Adversity, so trauma is the event, the experience, and the effects. Adversity talks about the event, the thing. Removal from family into foster care or a car accident. It is the event, the adverse um, event that um, that children can face. So um, about 25 years ago now, there's a medical doctor um, who was studying the epidemiology of obesity and was working with a group of women. And he would see that these women would cycle through this experience of obesity, and he couldn't find a medical origin for this repetitive kind of nature. Um, And so he began to ask questions about their childhood. And what he discovered was that more than 50% of these women um, had had an experience of childhood sexual abuse. Um, Out of that small research came what we know of and what you may have heard of at this point um, as the adverse childhood experiences study. This study um, was, um, was specifically designed to identify um, the, the types of adversity that children experience before the age of 18 and how it impacts their lives. And what they discovered um, was that there were 10 types of adverse childhood experiences, that was five, ten, types of childhood adverse experiences that were most frequently experienced by children leading up to the age of 18, um, and that were most widely researched in literature. And the idea of this study is that, um, or the, the, the outcome of this study, revealed that um, the more adverse experiences a person has, the greater the likelihood of high-risk Um, behaviors, um, and ultimately just a complete alteration in their life trajectory. We know that like 64% of children in our country have experienced at least one ACE, at least one childhood, adverse childhood experience. From this list, which one do you think that might be? 64% of kiddos 
in our country have experienced at least one ace, what do you think that one might be? Emotional abuse? What else? Is, what are some of the thoughts you guys have? Yeah. Yeah, I think divorce. I mean, if we, if we are, are say, 50% of marriages end in divorce, we know that at least our kids are experiencing um, divorce, parental separation, or divorce. Um, one in 10 children in our country have experienced three or more of these, placing them in the highest category of, of risk for difficult life outcomes. Um, there is no doubt. I mean, you look at the statistics even with sexual abuse, and when we think about reported cases of sexual abuse, um, we know that one in three girls, one in six boys before the age of 18 have been impacted by sexual abuse. Um, we could guess that our churches are filled with people who've experienced the 10 on this list, right? Um, and, and more likely than not, many that are not <laughs> on this list. Um, you know, I think uh, statistically speaking, um, Christian women um, choose abortion at similar rates as non-believing women, but the church doesn't know it, right? Because maybe it's not the safest place to share it. We might not know. We might not know what these, these folks are experiencing. It's not likely, just like a woman who, who chooses abortion, it's not likely that a child who's been sexually abused is going to waltz into your Sunday school class and say, guess what happened to me last Friday, right? But we can guess that the likelihood that really hard things have happened to the children and families in our church and our communities is, is really high. That adversity is inevitable, um, that it happens often and frequently. Adversity is also um, impacting the whole child. Um, you know, I, um, I think I, the first verse I thought of when, when I was thinking about this section um, was Psalm 139. Um, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. And when we think about our God design being made in his image, um, we were made by God um, to enjoy relationships. We're hardwired for connection and for relationship. Um, we, are, we were made to enjoy the world around us. That's why God built in our senses so that we could enjoy the world around us. We were also built for survival. And that's why we've survived all these years. Um, our bodies and our brains are built for uh, protection and survival. We are so complex in our nature. When trauma and adversity happen, that nature becomes um, flipped in some ways. So what we find is that children live out of and their family members live out of the survival parts of themselves. It's disproportionate. They're solely focused on safety and survival. And because they live there, they have a harder time connecting with others. And they have a harder time enjoying the world around them. It influences all areas of a child's life. And so as a result, the kiddos in your church, the, the adults in your church who've been impacted by trauma and adversity have unique physical needs. Um, and spiritual needs, and educational needs, and they have unique relational needs. 
Um, we spend a lot of time talking about what those specific needs are and how churches can come alongside and minister to families in a way that helps to repair the harm that's been done um, because of the experiences that, um, that they have had. Because we believe that, um, that when we respond insightfully through relationship with people who have been wounded in life, we can help them to heal. Let's look at um, let's look at four, just really quick, so I can like take a snapshot for you of what's happening. The, the thing about trauma and adversity is that kids who've been hurt in relationship and they've been hurt in life, like they don't show up with a band aid, right? It's all it's all on the inside. And so I just want to give you a snapshot of what's happening on the inside for a child who's lived in a lot of adversity and a lot of. A lot of trauma. The first thing is that they have really distorted beliefs about um, about themselves. Um, you know, this happened to me because I'm no good, um, or I was neglected because I don't exist. Um, and they have really distorted beliefs about the people around them. You know, if big people were supposed to be helping me and they hurt me, or they didn't protect me, I've got some really confused. Um, beliefs about the adults in my life. Does that make sense? So they have, they have distorted beliefs about themselves and about others. Um, they also, um, because biography, our stories impact biology, um, they also have pretty dysregulated bodies. They live, um, if there were a soundtrack to the lives of these children and their families, it would be Jaws. Even when you're hearing Beach Boys in your Sunday school classroom or in your small group setting, they're hearing Jaws. And we are context-sensitive beings, right? Um, I think about a child out in the ocean, and, um, and it, let's say the child is swimming out in the ocean, and they see a fin above the water. If that child um, automatically thinks, oh, that's a shark, and swim really quickly back to the, to the beach, no harm, no foul, right? They're safe. But what if it's just a dolphin and there was no need to swim so quickly back to the shore? That's these kids and their family members. They live hyper alert to any sort of threat in every environment that they're in. They're always looking for sharks, even when you know, as a Sunday school teacher, as a small group leader, as a teaching pastor, there are only dolphins in your church. They see sharks. Because what the track record has been is that I get close to people and I get hurt. Bad things happen. There are only sharks in my world. So why would I assume that they're just dolphins in this room? Um, they become, it's almost like um, you think about a kid um, cranking the, the dial on a jack-in-the-box. Um, and they, they're tense and they just are waiting for it to pop up, but they don't know when it's going to pop up. That's, that's these kids and their families. Um, we also know that trauma and adversity impact the way that their brains are developed. Um, we are um, we are hardwired to um, to be free to connect um, and have this complexity about um, have this complexity in us for protection. Um, we have to choose. Our brain can't do both. Our brain can protect us or help us grow, but it can't do both. Think about children who grow up in, um, in a war zone. They're not thinking about what they're capable of learning in class. They're thinking about how to protect themselves from danger. 
Um, and that is often these families. And then because they have this sort of beliefs about themselves and others, they don't know that they can trust someone. Um, because they feel stressed out and in chaos all of the time. Um, and because they can't access the more social, logical parts of their brains, um, we tend to see a lot of challenging behaviors. Um, if I can't articulate for you why I'm so sad, and I don't trust that you'll manage it when I tell you anyway, I'm just going to show you um, with my behaviors. And we see it in kids and we see it in adults. This is why, understanding this is why um, church ministry, trauma-sensitive ministries are so important. If we can come alongside the children and the families that we're serving in a way that helps them feel really safe um, in our care, really connected in relationship with us, safe relationship, um, and really supported in a way that helps them know that they're capable, um, then they're able to thrive. Um, relationships are the tool for healing. Um, relationships are central to the gospel. Right? Romans 1 says, for the invisible qualities of God, right, his power, um, they're all throughout creation. So man is without excuse. But then you go down nine chapters and you get to Romans 10 and you see that how will people know if they're not told about Jesus? The gospel is not intuitive. It comes to us through relationships. Someone in our lives whom we trusted said, hey, I know Jesus. And you can trust him too. And because we trusted them, we come to trust in him. So, what does it look like to provide environments where children feel safe and connected and supported by the, by the adults in the ministries in your church? Every single child and adult who's experienced trauma or adversity who walks into the doors of your church is asking three questions. Am I safe here? Do I matter to these people? And am I capable of growing, of being, of changing? Am I capable? Those are the three questions that they're asking. So let me ask you guys, in your church, what are you currently doing um, to help the kids and the adults in your church feel safe? What do you do to ensure, like think about your children's ministry. What are the things that you do to ensure that they feel safe while they're with you? Routine. Yeah, predictable routine. Mr. Kim, is he's doing his job over here uh, with me right now even. He's helping this to be a predictable experience for me. In a minute, he's going to hold up a big stop sign at me to tell me to stop. And it's going to let me know <laughs> that it's time to stop. But he gives me a countdown. He lets me know things are wrapping up. Kids need predictability. Predictability says, I know what's coming and I can trust. Um, predictability is huge. Good. What's something else that you do in your church to provide safety? Adult presence, yeah. Yeah, I'm not alone. There are people here in the room with me, okay? Do you do background checks yes. at your church? Anybody who's working with a student um, in your church? Yep. Um, one of the things that I think is, is such a great idea for children's ministries to help kids feel safe is um, making sure that if you have volunteers who rotate, 
like if Miss Joanne is only here the first Sunday of the month. Um, uh, making maybe on the wall in that classroom, uh, taking a picture of all your volunteers who serve in that room with their name and the weeks that they serve so that every single week when a child or a new family member come in, they know, okay, these are the people that I can trust. These are the people who are here consistently. Um, and if Miss Joanne's not here today, like, oh, it's her week is the third Sunday of the month. Um, so you're making sure that, um, that, that they can visually see the plan and it's predictable, um, that they wear name tags that has their name and it has their picture um, so that they know this is a person who we've screened and we trust and who is consistently in, um, in the presence of, of, of our kids at this church. Um, another thing about um, when I think about felt safety, I think of... Um, I think of things like tone of voice. <laughs> um, I think about the way that we talk with and approach kids and families who've been um, impacted by really difficult relationships in the past, that we approach them in a way that is um, in close proximity but in safe distance at the same time, right? Um, we're not running up to every kid giving them hugs, assuming that they're okay with that. We're asking permission first. Or maybe we're saying things like, um, hey, could I give you a hug or would you rather a high five? Um, we're helping them to um, let us know what helps them to feel safe. Ultimately, I felt safety is about the adults arranging the environment and their behaviors to make sure that the people who are in our environment truly feel a profound sense of safety when they're with us. We can know they're safe. We can know we've done all the background checks. We can know that um, we've got security walking our halls. We can know that it doesn't mean that they feel that way. And so we have to make sure that we help them to feel that way. Connection answers do I matter. And we show these kids and their families that they matter to us when we see them. And when they see themselves reflected in the environments and the experiences of our church. When you think about um, your classroom settings at your church, um, do the toys and the books and the pictures, um, your brochures, whatever you have, your do they reflect the folks that make up your church? Are they as diverse as the cultures reflected in your church or your community? Are you making sure that children see themselves in, in, in the ministry settings that you provide for them? Secondly is, do you see them? You know, um, kids want to know, um, kids want to know, do you know my name? And do you know how to pronounce it? Um, so we want to make, kids want to know that you know their names and that you know how to pronounce their names, right? Um, they want to know that you know something about their lives, like where they're coming from, what they enjoy doing, um, that the curriculum uh, never um, is, is never prioritized over the relationship because we know that if relationship is the tool that helps kids learn in any area of life, it's going to be true of their spiritual lives. If you trust me, you'll probably open the door to trust Jesus more readily. And so I'm going to throw everything I have at knowing that, at letting you know that I see you and that you matter to me first. And then I'm going to introduce Jesus to you who truly sees all of us, right? Um, in the way that we are. So am I safe? When you think about the ministry settings in your church, where you're coming alongside children and families, could you say that the answer to the question, am I safe, is answered with a profound sense of, yes, I'm safe in this environment. 
would these children and families say of your church environment, I really matter to these people? They're really concerned about knowing me first. And then lastly, support. Am I capable? Um, you know, I think about, um, I think about um, helping children and families come to a place where regardless of their circumstances, like their present circumstances or their past circumstances, they can see the role they play in the body of Christ. Um, I think about the house church that I'm a part of, the, the small group, we call them house churches, um, that I'm a part of. And I think about a young woman who comes every single week. And she, um, she struggles financially. Like there are some days when she, I don't think she had eaten probably in 24 to 48 hours before she came um, to our house. Um, and uh, she felt a lot of shame around it. it was a, it's a situation where everybody brings a dish um, when you meet at her house, right? But she can't contribute in that way. Um, and she feels a lot of shame around that. And so in one of our quieter moments when we were talking, um, just sharing with her that we truly believe that um, every person has a role to play. And you may not be able to contribute financially, but it doesn't mean that you don't get to contribute to this faith community. What this young woman does is pray fervently and loves really really well. She is such an encourager. She remembers things and she makes sure to reach out to people. And that is no less valuable, right? Than her being able to bring a covered dish to some small group meeting. Um, but helping churches figure out a way to do life with people who often live more in the margins than maybe the majority of church members. And how do we make that work recognizing that the church is a body and every part of the body matters and everybody has a role to play. Um, and for folks who've been impacted by trauma and adversity, they often come into settings not knowing if they really can contribute anything or if they have anything valuable to offer. And so it's our job as the body of Christ to come alongside them and say, you matter and you do have a lot to offer um, and help them see how they can influence and impact the body of Christ in that way. We're not going to talk about um, the healthy caregiver piece, um, but ultimately we know that, um, that we know that um, religion, we know that the gospel is about relationship and not about religion, right? That at the end of the day, it's really not about what we know. Um, people who are impacted by adversity um, say that that is a pivotal circumstance in their life that leads them back to church or back to God. And it's not because they heard a really good sermon. It's because the body of Christ came alongside them in relationship. And through that relationship introduced them to the truth of the gospel, which pointed them to Jesus. And they believed it because it was an authentic faith community they were immersed in. Even if I don't have all the answers, you can tell by my life that I know Jesus and that I love him and that I'm doing my best to follow him, and I want you to come alongside me and do that with me too. And that is what brings about healing in the lives of the folks who have been impacted by trauma and adversity in your church.
You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.